And up until recently, up until recently, and, and if you go to Jerusalem with us, you'll see this, that there's a, a, a place, the, um, and now I'm forgetting the name of it, the, the, the Temple Institute. Thank you. Thank you. Whoever, no one said anything. It was just the Lord who told me. The Temple Institute was a place and is a place where you can go and you can see things that have been reconstructed, the clothing for the high priest. The lampstand, the, the articles for use in the temple, everything has been completed for use in that temple. Let me tell you something tragic though, a little side note about the Temple Institute. And those of you who have been to Jerusalem and have seen it, the Temple Institute nowadays guides in, in uh, Jerusalem, and our, our guide who was a Christian at this point, was one of several guides that we had, he didn't even want to go in there. Now, he was raised in Israel, raised a Jew, converted to Christianity, and he didn't want to take us in there, but he said, ah, you probably ought to see it. You ought to see all the things. And we said, well, why don't you want to take us in there? Well, you, you'll, you'll see. You'll see. So we went in there and we sat down. And what's happened recently in Jerusalem is everybody in Jerusalem, once they graduate high school, once they're 18, 19 years old, are committed to two years of service in the Israeli Defense Forces or in, in the Israeli Navy. They've got to serve. But there's a way out for young girls who don't want to serve in the military. They can now do other kinds of work, um, social work of different types around the country and fulfill their obligation. And what's happened is the rabbis and the people who work in the Temple Institute now have kind of handed that off to these girls who are now in there. And what we got was a very Kabbalistic view of the Temple. In other words, kind of mystical, and it's not really important whether we build the temple or don't build the temple. It's more that the temple is, you know, it's all of us together. It was, it was, it was bad. I was sitting there going, come on, tell me you're ready to fight. <laughs> I want to stir something up here. Sounds like, while we're here, wouldn't that be great if something happened on the Temple Mount, you know? Just, Lord, give me enough time to run off the side and get down, but wouldn't that be... And it's just, it's all kind of changed. There's not that passion there. You're not taught by... Now, we will see... We will see the Temple Institute because, again, the things are worth seeing in there. But I'm just telling you ahead of time, if you go on that trip, you're going to hear some things that you go, ah, okay, well, anyway. The plans are still laid. The ultra-Orthodox Jews and some of the Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem still want to see the building of the Third Temple, which gang brings us back to the book of Revelation and what will happen in the time of tribulation, actually just prior to this. Jot this down, note-takers, the next three verses on our list. And this will be now the literal third temple, the tribulation temple. The tribulation temple. Matthew 24, 15 through 21. Daniel 9, verses 26 and 27. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In these verses, Jesus and Daniel and Paul, all three describe a time, future tense, when Antichrist will go into a temple and demand to be worshipped. Now when Daniel wrote about it, when Daniel wrote, we might say, okay, well maybe that was, that was in between the first and the second temple, so could that have been the second temple? No, because gang, what he describes in Daniel chapter 9 was not fully fulfilled. In fact, what he goes on to describe in Daniel 11 and 12 was not fulfilled in the things that happened in the temple. A picture of it was, it's another study for another time, but... All these things point to a time future. Jesus talked about it. And he, by the way, quoted Daniel. Stay with me on this. Jesus quoted Daniel talking about a thing called the abomination of desolation. When Jesus quoted Daniel, he said, this thing is going to happen. That alone tells us that Daniel's description of the abomination of desolation had not yet happened. A couple of things historically, a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes did defile the temple. 
And that was a picture of what would later happen. And Jesus took hold of it and said, this is a time to come. Paul talks about it, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That Antichrist will go into the temple and demand to be worshipped. Paul talking about a temple that at that time when Paul wrote was likely standing in Jerusalem. Paul would die before the destruction of the temple in AD 70. He wouldn't see that happen in his lifetime. Only John would see and know about it. So later on we see this, this indication of the new temple being built. Will we see, will we, you and I, see this temple built before the rapture of the church? My response to that is I don't think so. I'm not absolutely sure that's something that's in the hands of God. But the reason I don't think so is I believe the building of this temple, and scriptures indicate this, the building of this third temple, this tribulation temple, will be part of Antichrist's master plan to bring this supposed peace to the world. Daniel chapter 9 talks about it. That along comes this man of peace... And he's going to come up with this fantastic plan, this seven-year peace treaty. Interestingly, seven years. And when he comes up with this peace treaty, I think the indication is there that part of it is going to include the opportunity for the Jewish people to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount. And they're hungry for it. And they want to see it happen. Will we see it happen? Well, there's a little problem. If you look at the Temple Mount, you would see the problem. It's like a big blemish on the Temple Mount. It's called the Dome of the Rock Mosque. It sits there right in the middle. And then down at one end of the Temple Mount is the Al-Aqsa Mosque. These two mosques dominate the Temple Mount. There's a third mosque planned and being built currently by Muslims on the Temple Mount. They're trying to cover it up with mosques as much as possible, doing whatever it takes to make sure that Messiah can't come back and build a temple there. <laughs> That's not going to work. But right now, there it is, the Dome of the Rock Mosque, that big mosque. And you may have seen pictures of it and said, oh, that's beautiful. I'll tell you what, when you see it up close, it's not beautiful. It's ugly. And it's a scar on the top of that Temple Mount. And I know I'm betraying a little bit of how I feel about this. Let me just be honest. I think it's, it's an awful thing up there. It is an abomination. But how would that work? How can you possibly come up with a peace plan where the Dome of the Rock Mosque can sit there, where the, the Temple, you'd have to destroy the Dome of the Rock Mosque, right? Listen to this. Biblical Archaeology Review. March and April 1983. Jewish physicist Dr. Asher Kaufman Asher Kaufman, not a Jew himself, but not a practicing Jew, certainly not a Christian, he wrote a landmark article. Kaufman studied for 16 years the Temple Mount, and he made an amazing discovery. He showed us that the holy place of the Temple, with the Holy of Holies within, was not located on the spot where the Dome of the Rock Mosque currently sits. Based on his study, the Holy of Holies would have to be 100 meters north of that spot. It's interesting, the Dome of the Rock has a huge, rough, craggy stone in it. Now, I haven't seen it myself, and we were there, we're not allowed to go in. In fact, the Muslims have closed the doors, visitors cannot go into the Dome of the Rock any longer. But they claim, in the Dome of the Rock Mosque, on this big, huge, craggy rock, that this was the place that Abraham came up to sacrifice his son, Ishmael. Not Isaac. Ishmael. A rewrite of history in the Quran. By the way, when you study these things and look at different religious writings, all you have to do is look for consistency. If there's one thing that is a falsehood in a religious book, 
then to my mind, it's worth tossing the whole book. You have to find one in here. But anyway, they claim that Abraham brought Ishmael to sacrifice there. And others believe that it was the location of the Jewish Holy of Holies. But Asher Kaufman showed, for one thing, it was too craggy. It was too rough. How could you even balance the Ark of the Covenant in that place? It wouldn't have worked. But 100 meters north of the Dome of the Rock, there's a little gazebo, which is set up over the only other place on top of the Temple Mount today where there is exposed bedrock. And it's very smooth and it's very flat. This little cupola is there today. And part of Kaufman's research stated that the Ark of the Covenant could not have sat on that rough, craggy, rounded rock in the Dome of the Rock Mosque, but had to sit on a smooth, flat rock. Furthermore, the Mishnah, the Jewish Mishnah, which is the book of Jewish oral traditions, in Yoma 5.2 states the following. It says that a priest, when he stood in the Holy of Holies, and in that moment when the veil was momentarily parted as he was coming in or going out, could actually, from that place, look straight out through the temple, through the open door of the temple, and directly out the eastern gate to see the sunrise on Mount Scopus further in the east in a direct line. Now, if you stand where the Dome of the Rock Mosque is today, there's not a direct line to, to the eastern gate. It's actually north of where you would stand on that side of the Dome of the Rock. But Jewish tradition states that it was a direct line east, straight out the eastern gate of the temple, right up to Mount Scopus to see the sun there. So what's the big deal? The big deal is this. Looking from the Dome of the Rock Mosque, again, it doesn't line up. For from this little gazebo, it's in a direct line of sight. Want to see it? I have a picture of it. I don't know who that dork is there. But anyway, that's it picture of the little cupola, the Dome of the Rock, standing from where we are, Cheryl took that picture, Dome of the Rock Mosque is over there. This is now toward the northern end of the Temple Mount. Straight directly behind me is the eastern gate of the Temple. And so it is thought by many, and this was Asher Kaufman's uh, theory, this was what he studied and came up with, that the actual Holy of Holies was probably right there. I stood there for Cheryl to take the picture and then I thought for a moment, well, maybe I shouldn't be standing here. <laughs> maybe it's not such a good idea, Rick. But here's what's ironic about this, and this is amazing to me. It was Muslims who built this stone canopy. And in Arabic, they called it two things. Either the Dome of the Spirit or the Dome of the Tablets. The Dome of the Spirit... The Dome of the Tablets. What was above the Ark of the Covenant, above the Mercy Seat? What resided there? Who resided there? The Spirit of God. And what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? Ten the Ten Commandments. Dome of the Spirit. Dome of the Tablets. It's fascinating to me that even Islam recognized that at one time, this was the spot where the Jewish Ten Commandments were housed. Even the Muslims believed that. In fact, pre-1960 Muslim writings referred to the Dome of the Rock Mosque as the Dome of the Temple, referring back to Solomon's Temple, and then the second temple that stood in that same place. Although today, Muslims will deny that a Jewish temple ever stood there. Revisionist history. Trying to make it fit a, a paradigm, a worldview that's different. Yasser Arafat, man, he was on the front edge of that in the 60s, trying to change the truth. And knowing that especially we dumb Americans in the West believe pretty much anything we're told. We're not reading, we're not checking out history, we're just, what's the news say? Oh, okay, and then the Jews never had a temple there? Well, then why do they want that place? Let's back up the Palestinians because they never had it. What do the Jews even think? 
And it's all changed, and yet Muslim writings specifically state that the Jewish temple stood there. They didn't even deny it pre-1960. By the way, there's also good evidence to suggest that the Dome of the Rock Mosque is exactly where the Phoenicians had at one time an altar to the goddess Ashtaroth, which is very interesting to me. Now, all of that to say this, without touching the Dome of the Rock Mosque, you could, in theory, rebuild the Jewish temple around where that little cupola is right there, with that as the centerpiece, you could rebuild a Jewish temple there with one small problem. The court of the Gentiles in the temple would overlap the Dome of the Rock Mosque. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation, again, chapter 2, or chapter 11, verse 2. Chapter 11, verse 2. Now, the temple could be built right next to the Dome of the Rock Mosque as long as, as long as you didn't build it with the court of the Gentiles. Watch this. Verse 2. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it's been given to the nations. For they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Amazing. John prophesied 2,000 years ago that the temple would be built again without the court of the Gentiles. What does that mean? It can happen. It could happen today. Based on this specification, without the court of the Gentiles, you could build the Jewish temple right next door to the Dome of the Rock Mosque. And you're thinking, impossible. There's no way they can happen. Hold that thought. You know what really gets me? What really gets me is the way God fulfills prophecy. The way he uses anyone he needs to, to make sure the things that he tells us will come about, will come about. Again, prophecy is not, prophecy is not what we hope will happen. Not what we hope God's going to somehow pull off. Prophecy is what God has already seen has happened. It's already a done deal for the Lord. So turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 42. While you're turning there, just listen for a moment. In the 67 Six-Day War, Moshe Dayan, the famous one-eyed general, stormed the Temple Mount with his soldiers and recaptured for the first time since the Jews, well, since AD 70. For the first time, the Jews had dominance, had sovereignty over the Temple Mount. There were soldiers that day absolutely weeping as they were on the Temple Mount. A rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Gorin, he blew the shofar on that day. And the soldiers were overcome with emotion because once again they stood on the Temple Mount that belonged to them so many years before. But on that day, Moshe Dayan did something amazing. He allowed the then, it was then controlled by the Jordanians, it was called the Waqf. W-A-Q-F, interesting word in, in the Muslim, in the Arabic, but the Waqf was the, basically the overseer. And the Jordanians had uh, oversight on the Temple Mount until Moshe Dayan and the Jewish troops came in and retook the Temple Mount. But on that day, General Dayan, some of you know this story, he gave religious sovereignty back to the Jordanian Waqf. He said, you guys keep, he was trying to be a peacemaker. He, in interviews afterwards, couldn't actually give good reason for why he acted on his own. This was not run through the leaders of Israel. This didn't go through the the Jewish leaders to to discuss what they were going to do. On his own, by his own authority, he handed it right back to the Jordanian walk. And by that time, it was too late. And so the Muslims retain, and it's interesting even today, they retain religious sovereignty on the Temple Mount, even though the Jews have political 
and national sovereignty. If you go on the Temple Mount, and if we can, and we got to, and I'm hoping that it'll still be open for us to go when we're there, it depends on what happens. But if you go on the Temple Mount, you'll notice IDF soldiers all over the place, sitting there with their guns, just keeping an eye on things, making sure nothing's, nothing's out of control. Israeli soldiers, they have authority on the Temple Mount, but not religious. You can't bring a Bible up there. You can't say a prayer up there. And most Jews wouldn't go up there anyway because the rabbis say, stay off it. You might end up standing like maybe I was in the Holy of Holies, which could be a bad thing. I've noticed one that my hair is a little thinner since we were there. I don't know if that's related in any way. But why did he do it? Why did Moshe Diana, of his own authority, hand it right back to the Jordanians? Why would he do such a thing? Some say he was a political Jew. He was acting politically, trying to show uh, or give a show of peace. I would say different. I say because this is the way God wanted it to be. He was acting, maybe not on the authority of God, but certainly under the sovereignty of God. And God wanted it to be the way that it is. That the Muslims would have some sovereignty. What, Rick? You're saying the Muslims should have sovereignty? I'm not saying they should. I'm saying that the Lord set this whole thing up so that they would. And now look. At Ezekiel chapter 42, when you couple Ezekiel, uh, Revelation 11:2 with Ezekiel 42 verse 20, you get an amazing and interesting parallel picture. Look at this. Verse 20 of chapter 42 tells us that Ezekiel, who is now measuring the temple, he measured it on the four sides. It had a wall all around. The length, 500, and the width, 500, to divide between the holy and the profane. So this temple... And Ezekiel was describing, again, this temple, this tribulation temple, that's built in this time of uncertainty, in this time of distress, and it has a wall around it. Why in the world would it need a wall around it? Ezekiel tells us to divide between the holy and the profane. What is the holy? That would be the Jewish temple. What is the profane? Dome of the Rock Mosque. And by the way, the Dome of the Rock is profane. It has writings on it. Writings on it that, that state that God is not begotten, nor does he beget. In other words, de, de, completely defying the divinity of Christ. There are other writings, anti-Jewish, anti-Christian writings, right on the Dome of the Rock that would be blasphemous to the Lord. It is profane. And Ezekiel tells us that there needs to be a wall, a wall that divides between the holy and the profane. Go on back to Revelation 11. But here's where Antichrist enters the picture. And it gets fascinating here, gang, because with amazing skill and savvy, Daniel tells us that he is like a statesman, Antichrist. He, he's a man who has great oratorical skills. And scripture indicates that he's going to offer a covenant of peace with Israel, which I believe will include, again, the building of the temple alongside the Dome of the Rock Mosque to the Muslims. Hey, don't worry about it. I'm a man of peace. We can make this happen. You have your mosque. We're not going to drive it down. We're not going to knock it down. To the Jews, you can have the temple again. The Jews are waiting for a man of peace. They're waiting for Messiah to come in and bring peace. The Muslims are also waiting, according to the Quran, for a man of peace who will precede the return of Muhammad. Both groups are going to be completely taken in by Antichrist. Gang, Jimmy Carter couldn't do it. Bill Clinton couldn't do it. Netanyahu couldn't do it. Arafat's dead. Sharon lies in a coma. Bush won't do it. But Antichrist will. He's going to come up with a way to pacify all people, what? 
I didn't say that Antichrist was a she. Although, no. Go back to the book of Ezekiel again. I'm sorry. Back to Ezekiel chapter 43. Hillary. I, that was my wife who said that. I'll make sure that gets on the tape. Ezekiel 43. Watch this now. This is really cool. Beginning in verse 1. Ezekiel 43 verse 1. Then he led me to the gate. The gate facing toward the east. Toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters. Whose voice sounded like many waters when John saw him glorified? It was Jesus. His voice is like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw. Like the vision which I saw when he came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Shabar, and I fell on my face. Verse 4, watch this. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. Messiah is coming through that gate, gang. The eastern gate. This is one of those scriptures that tells us, indicates to us how the glory of God will return to the Temple Mount. And gang, the glory of God in the person of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, will come from the east. The Temple Mount will be filled with His glory. The Tribulation Temple will not. It will be destroyed. But with the second coming of Christ, there will be a fourth temple built. Temple number four. Now let's just review quickly. You have the first temple, Solomon's temple. You have the second temple, Zerubbabel's temple, temple of the exiles. You have not the third temple, but the second temple 2.0, the refurbished temple of Herod. Then you have the third temple, which will be the tribulation temple. And finally, number four, which we could call the millennial temple. And it will be built, it will be constructed, it will be put together by none other than Jesus Christ himself, the architect and the contractor who will build this temple. How do you know this, Rick? Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. I'll just read this to you. It says, Then say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch. Bible students, do you know the, Greek, the, the Hebrew word there for branch? Anyone remember? Netzer. Netzer is the word. Good, Sharon. Well, you should know that. You've got the Logos software that I've got, so we know this thing. Anyway, <laughs> Netzer, which means branch. It's where the word Nazareth comes from. Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus the branch. He says, a man whose name is Branch will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne, which, by the way, is why Jews are going to be deceived by Antichrist. There will be Jewish people who will begin to think, maybe this is Messiah. For Messiah, it was prophesied, Messiah would build the temple of the Lord. This may also be one of the reasons why Herod so badly wanted to rebuild the temple himself. To try and pick up a little, you know, a little stuff off of this prophecy. But Jews are waiting for Messiah to come back and build that temple. Antichrist is going to do it. Oh, it'll be a different kind of thing. And he's going to defile it himself. But Jesus, gang, Jesus will come through that eastern gate. Jesus will build the temple. Now listen closely. Based on our study tonight, where do you suppose the millennial temple will be built? If you think about the temple amount and the, and the things that we've talked about, where would you think... The Millennial Temple will be set up. That's what I used to think. (laughs) 
That's what I, <laughs> that's what I would have thought. Spencer rolls his eyes. Set up, knock him down. If that indeed is the place right there of the Holy of Holies, if that's the location, and by the way, the temple would, would go long ways across the Temple Mount like that toward the Mount of Olives. That's the Mount of Olives in the background that you're looking at. If the temple ran that way, I would think, well, yeah, that's, it's the perfect place. Build it where Solomon's temple was. I'm not sure that that's where it's going to be built. Let me tell you why. The Temple Mount will not be then what it is now. It's going to change. Revelation chapter 6 verse 12 says the following, I looked and he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood. A great earthquake. That's during the wrath of the Lamb. Skipping on ahead, Revelation chapter 8 verse 5 says, The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth and there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And specifically speaking of Jerusalem in the time of the of this uh, of the tribulation and we're going to get to all of this next week further on but check this out look at verse 13 of chapter 11 verse 13 of chapter 11 tells us and in that hour there was a great earthquake and watch this a tenth of the city fell 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven a little side note, and it's interesting here. There's a place that we'll be able to go called the Rabbi's Tunnel. So I can't talk about Jerusalem without saying we're going to go. But we will. And this Rabbi's Tunnel, also called the Secret Tunnel, the last day that we were there, Cheryl and I got to travel down into that tunnel. It was opened up. The Muslims were furious that this thing was opened up. Part of the reason was once they got this tunnel open, people began digging and they found an opening that led into some chambers that they think might have been beneath the Temple of Solomon where a lot of rabbis to this day think the Ark of the Covenant still rests. And the moment the Muslims realized digging was going on under there, they went ballistic. And the, the secret tunnel, the rabbi's tunnel, got closed up. Well, it's reopened now. And you can go through it. And we did. You walk through this tunnel. And again, it, it runs directly underneath the Muslim quarter of the old city of Jerusalem. So as you're in there, you, you got Muslims right above you in the Muslim quarter. But check this out. In the 1980s, when the tunnel first opened up, the Jerusalem Post factually stated that it ran under exactly one-tenth of the city. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Interesting. Just something to think about. What's this got to do with the location of the Millennial Temple? I'm getting there. As the time of the tribulation intensifies, there's going to be massive geographical and topographical changes. We see numerous earthquakes talked about throughout the book of Revelation. And as these earthquakes happen, they're not just random acts of, of violence on the part of the Lord. They're not just wrath. I'm absolutely convinced that there's something going on. It's for the purpose of geographical and topographical changes in Jerusalem. And in fact, when Jesus comes, we're told the upheaval of the land will be so dramatic, Zechariah chapter 14, it declares that the Mount of Olives will be split in half and actually will become a, an escape route for the Jews fleeing from Jerusalem who are still there, there during the time. It tells us that Jesus, when he sets down, he's going to plant one foot on the Mount of Olives, one foot on the other side, and he's going to split right up the middle. Massive changes are going to begin to happen. And watch this. Remembering our question, I'm just going to read this to you quickly. Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Well, if you want to turn there, you can. Verse 1. 
She's going to read you the psalm, but listen closely to this. This whole thing is amazing. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he founded upon the seas, he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your faith, even Jacob. And then it says, and we sing this song, verse 7, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. It's Jesus. And the Bible says He will enter through that eastern gate. How can that happen? The eastern gate, for those of you who have been here recently, you know this, the eastern gate right now is underground. The eastern gate that you see in the temple that we saw in this picture right here. Right there. That eastern gate isn't a gate at all. It's a facade. It's built like a gate, but that's not a gate. Even one that's been closed up, the true eastern gate that was closed up by the Muslims, barred, is underneath that directly. It's underground. And so we read this psalm with a totally different picture. Be lifted up, you ancient gates. Oh, ancient doors, be lifted up. There's going to be this shifting of land and topography in Jerusalem. And it's important to understand this. Now listen, go all the way back to Abraham. Because the Bible tells us that Abraham took his son Isaac up Mount Moriah. And when he got up to a high place on the top of Mount Moriah, I think the northernmost point on Mount Moriah, there was a, a substitutionary sacrifice that took place there. God stays Abraham's hand. Abraham doesn't sacrifice Isaac. No, instead he finds a ram in a thicket. You remember the story. Brings the ram up and the ram becomes the substitutionary sacrifice so that Isaac himself is not sacrificed thanks to the faith of Abraham. Right there in that place. And by the way, it's not where I stood under that cupola. It's further north. Now right now, if you go to Jerusalem, if you stand on the very northern edge of the Temple Mount, it kind of valleys off down below and then rises up again to a higher place, a little bit further north, a place that you might be familiar with, a place that's called Golgotha. Golgotha sits directly north of where the other temple would have sat, directly north of the Temple Mount. On Even though there's that little valley there now, that valley didn't used to be there. For Mount Moriah was one long ridge that cut right through Jerusalem all the way up to the northernmost point when Abraham climbed up it. I believe it will be again. Personally, I think the Bible indicates this. And I think that is where the Holy of Holies is going to sit in the Millennial Temple. Why there? Leviticus chapter 16 says, Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Gang, Golgotha is the place where the blood of Jesus, that perfect day of atonement, the day of his crucifixion, Golgotha is where his blood was sprinkled. 
Golgotha is where his blood came down, Calvary, the cross, which brings us to an amazing and final conclusion. And I think, and I could be totally wrong, and if I'm wrong, God bless you all, God bless me, we're going to see some amazing things anyway. But I think that Golgotha will be the location of the Holy of Holies in the Millennial Temple because that's where the ultimate blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin. The Jews had their Day of Atonement. We have ours. And all people who would come to Jesus would find that same Day of Atonement. Where is the Temple today? Here's a problem that Jewish people have, and you cannot get around it no matter how ultra-Orthodox you are. You cannot express Jewish faith without the temple because you can't sacrifice and if you can't sacrifice and if you have no temple your faith comes up short the Jewish people know that that's why again the ultra-orthodox Jews in Israel today want that temple built because until it's built their faith is moot their faith cannot be fulfilled they cannot even live out the requirements the Levitical requirements of their belief system they can't do it And so it's all just kind of holding off, waiting until that day when that temple will be built. But we know something, gang. We're in a dispensation of grace today. We're in the church age. Where is the temple today? Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Lord? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And gang, if it didn't say this in the Bible, I would think it was just almost too spiritual, almost too amazing. And someone came up with it somewhere else. That this, this can't be true, but Paul says it. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Where were we bought with a price? On Calvary, at Golgotha, where the blood was shed. I was bought. And once I become one of those blood-bought believers in Jesus, suddenly my body is the temple. I've got Christ. I've got His Spirit residing. That Shekinah glory that entered the temple, the priest couldn't even serve there. Guess what? No priest could serve in my body because the Holy Spirit is there today. Which, by the way, is the reason why I can be of a royal priesthood and I can serve the Lord because His Spirit resides within this temple. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.15, What harmony has Jesus, has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And Joe and Karen and I were talking last night about some just just neat things happening here in the bridge. And talking about why they're happening. And we're all a part of something beyond us. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit in people's bodies, temples. All sitting, we're a bunch of temples here tonight, gang. And His Spirit is at work. And if anything good happens in this silly barn, it's because His Spirit is here. It's because God's Spirit is at work here among us. But it gets even better than that. You think that's awesome? Mind-blowing, amazing. As the Jews wait for a temple, I can say, I got your temple. I got your temple right here, guys. I'm a walking, breathing. I go up on the Temple Mount. Temple's back. But listen, it's better. It's better than all of this. The tabernacle as a temple was an imperfect, transient tent moving from one place to the next. Solomon's temple, oh, it had the Spirit of God in it, the glory of God, but only for a season. After a few hundred years, that glory departed and the temple was empty and destroyed. Zerubbabel's temple, even after it was expanded and refurbished by the self-titled Herod the Great, never did contain the Spirit of God. 
Not once do we have any indication that God's Spirit resided in that place. And even the temple of the heart. And here's the tough thing for us to know and acknowledge. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of the Lord God, and yet my body sins. I'm in the flesh. I walk in flesh. This temple shames the Spirit of God from time to time. So even this temple is an imperfect one. And of course the tribulation temple of Antichrist is going to be nothing more than a show of human ingenuity and prowess and ultimately it's going to house the abomination of desolation. But there's a temple coming, gang. There's a temple coming. In the millennium, Jerusalem will house that marvelous, beautiful fourth temple built by Jesus himself. We're going to see it. We at that point will be serving, ruling, and reigning with Jesus according to the book of Revelation in that time of the millennium. And Jesus will reign there. He'll be accessible to every tongue and tribe and people and nation on the face of the planet. But it gets better than that. There is a final, flawless, fantastic temple to come. You want to get a quick peek at it? Look at Revelation chapter 21. <laughs> Revelation 21 verse 22 and man I, I can't wait till we get to this chapter it's going to blow your minds but just a quick peek at it verse 22 says talking about the new Jerusalem the new Jerusalem come down out of heaven and by the way just so you get this picture in your minds a little bit it's really cool God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that the Bible indicates describes will hover in between earth and heaven it's going to be the place of your zip code Christians New Jerusalem we'll get into that when we get to chapter 21 but look at this he says I saw no temple in it for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple awesome Verse 23, the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the Lamb. Talk about a glorious day. It's not a temple built by human hands. It's not even the temple Jesus built. It's not a temple of, of my body that houses the Holy Spirit. Wonderful as that is, the temple is God. The temple is Jesus and in that day of final eternity, even when we get beyond the millennial reign, which will be fantastic, it'll be wonderful, but it gets better still. And this is how it is with God. And we end on this thought tonight, gang. When you put yourself in the hands of God, when you say, I am going to live for Jesus, when you say, Lord, I want you to lead me forward, guess what? It always gets better and better and better and better. And we have an eternity of that to look forward to. For as wonderful as the coming of Jesus will be, talked about in Revelation 19, the millennial kingdom of Christ will be better. But as fantastic as that thousand year reign of Christ will be, the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, better still. And as wonderful as those first days of eternity will be, a thousand years, a million years, billions of years if we even counted time which we won't it will be better still this is how awesome our God is let's pray Father we just all oh, we look forward to that glorious day and I pray Lord again tonight that you will cement in our minds this, this, this history of the temple 
that we'll see the temple all the way down through the ages, but that we will long for and look forward to more than anything else the day that you, Lord, are the temple. That our worship and our praise and our experience, Lord, that we will enter you. Oh, hallelujah, Father. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Amen.